Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. ceremony, I mean they don't do many ceremonies there, but uh, they still do some. And generally they offer three things to the Buddha. Candle, incense, and water. And why they do this is because each is a symbol of awakening. So I look at, like to look a little at that. The first is a candle. And the idea of the candle is first that it's a symbol of selflessness. Because a candle give you, gives you light as it disappears. So it kind of benefits others as it melts itself. And the second symbol of the candle is that it's light. And to, to me, I would look at it in two ways. Is that it is illuminating, meaning that it illuminates for others. And also the candle itself is illuminated. So to see, in a way, awakening as illuminating us, but also helping us to illuminate for others. I think this is an important point about awakening. <laughs> the second one is incense. Again, you have the same idea with incense. As it spreads its fragrance, it disappears. So again, a symbol of selflessness. And then the thing about the fragrance is that it's pervasive. It goes everywhere. And so the incense does not think, hmm, I don't like them over there. I am not going to go that way. But those ones, they look really good. So then, you know, I'll put a little more that way. It doesn't do that at all. It goes everywhere equally. So again, this notion of pervasiveness and also of equality. And then the water. What is interesting with the water is that you have two things. One is a notion of adaptability, of flexibility, that the water will take whatever shapes the container it will be in. And the water is always adapting, always in a way kind of moving generally to the lower places. It doesn't stay up, it generally goes down. <coughs> so adaptability in any circumstances. But also the water there is this element of reflection. That the water, if it's kind of just like a water of a lake, water of a pond, water of just kind of like a, a large receptacle which is calm, then you can, it will reflect whatever comes above it. And again, the water is not going to say, 
Oh, she looks so beautiful. I am going to keep this reflection longer. <laughs> it just reflects the person, beautiful in this case, just as it is. And when the person passes, it's not there anymore. And then if you have an ugly monster reflected in the water, it doesn't say, wow, I can't take it, you know. I'm not going to reflect it. It just reflects it just as it is. And then it passes and nothing remains. So in a way, often we think of awakening as kind of like this amazing state. When actually I think the awakening is more about what we lose. What is it that we lose that stop our potential for coming out of wisdom, of compassion. And also that in the awakening, there is this kind of notion of expansiveness that we really spread out, but also this notion of flexibility, of adaptability. Then, you have the three characteristics. And personally, I think in terms of meditation, they are very important. That when we meditate, we don't just do samatha, we don't just do concentration, which is very useful, but also we look deeply into the characteristics not in an intellectual way as such, but more in an experiential way, so that it can start to dissolve our misperception. And I think if we look at them, each in turn, impermanence, it has two aspects. The first aspect, Stephen has mentioned already, is death. It's in a way ultimate change. But do we live do we live our life as if death is a possibility? I mean, until we die, it's other people who die. And so we kind of have that feeling that it's not going to happen yet. Maybe in three, five years, 10 years time. Yes, yes, you know, we know we're going to die. We all know that. But we don't feel that it's going to happen soon. And the difficulty with this is that often it makes us take things for granted. It doesn't matter. I can always improve it or kind of correct this, you know, later. And I think, in a way, if we really know, I mean, that's what our teacher, Master Kuzan, used to say. Your life rests upon a single breath. And if you really know it, actually, I would say it changes the way you look at ourselves at yourself and the way you look at others. Because that's the experience I had when my father died. I saw his last breath. And then everything shifted. Instead of looking at impermanence as fat fatalism. Oh, the vase breaks, who cares? It's impermanent, especially if it's not mine, I don't mind. <laughs> but when I saw that last breath, I realized my life rested upon a single breath and everybody around me. And then I look at them in such a different way, beyond the idea I had of them to the human being who was breathing like myself, who could die like myself, and arose this really great compassion for life, which is fragile in that way. But then there is another aspect of impermanence, which I think is very essential. And this is change. Basically, impermanence is saying things are going to change. Things can change. But often we, we live, we think, we perceive, we respond as if things will never change. How often do we say, 
I am always like this. You will always do that. You will never learn. And basically we're saying that ourselves or others are going to do the same thing every second, every minute, every day, every week, every month, every year, forever after. It's not possible. Even if you wanted to, you could not do it. But to me, it really fixes us, fixes others. And I think this is, in a way, the gift of change, is the fact there is a possibility for change. I can change, someone else can change. But it doesn't mean that it will happen fast. That I cannot guarantee. But there is the possibility of it. And I remember many years ago, my nephew had great difficulty. He was in a really bad state. And I thought I was around at the time, and I thought the only thing I could do was to teach him meditation on the breath. Did not think it would be very effective there and then, but I could always plant a seed, which is what I did. And then 15 years later, one day we were at family reunion, and we got together. He said, you know, three years ago, I was in a really bad state. And then I did the breath meditation, and it was so useful. And so it kind of worked, but it took a long time. So I think we have to see change in that way. Think the gift of the potential for change. Then there is dukkha. And I think dukkha is very important in terms of knowing dukkha, especially in terms of dukkha dukkha, which is pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. And I think it's very important for us to, in a way, know it, not that we must torture ourselves, but if we experience it, to really know how does it feel to have pain. And I would say the two characteristics of that is that generally it's painful, but more than that, it is isolating. Nobody can have my pain for me. Nobody can have my headache, my stomachache, whatever it is for me. So when we are in pain, we feel very isolated. And I think because of that, if we see somebody in pain, we cannot but have compassion for that person, for ourselves too, when we are in pain. Then we have the third one, which is conditionality, which is this non-self, not-self. And not-self is not saying that we do not exist, but it's saying that, in a way, our existence rests upon different conditions. And I think in meditation we can really start to experience that our life rests upon generally outside conditions. The food I eat, the air I uh, breathe, the water I drink, the clothes I wear, the house which will protect me, the medicine which will take care of me when I am ill. It's all independent of me. It comes from the outside. So in a way my my life rests upon conditions from the outside and all these different people using energy so that I can survive. And each of us has that particularity that our life is conditioned upon. All the energy spent on the thing we need to use to survive. And so when we realize that we are conditioned in that way, we cannot but have compassion to what 
we are connected with, to, we share the same life, we share the same energy that helps us to survive. And from that arise compassion. And so, in a way to see compassion, I would say not just as a feeling. I think the, the, the looking deeply into the three characteristics over time helps us to have what I would call a more wise compassion. Because I think all of us have that innate quality to be compassionate, to respond to suffering. But as Stephen says, often it is kind of like um, uh, what I would call dependent compassion, a compassion which is only connected to me and mine. But I think with the symbol of awakening, we can see that the compassion is to really spread out as widely as we can. And also to see that often it's difficult to have compassion for people who are difficult, for people in a way who suffer, who are prickly, who are not kind of easy to deal with. And then you might think, but I don't, it is too hard to have compassion for them because, you know, they're so difficult and they make me feel bad. But think about it. You only spend an hour, maybe every two weeks with them. They spend all the time with themselves. <laughs> and I think we can give them an hour of our time. But then we need to use a meditation not to be colored not to be, not to grasp. And this is why it's so important, the meditation with compassion, so that it will be enable us to be stable, to be open, to be totally there. But when we leave the situation, we don't keep anything with us. We just leave it there. And also at the same time to see in compassion our limits. The fact that it's a spectrum. Sometimes you'll have you will be heroic, and you will just think of the other person. Sometimes you just have to think about yourself because you are ill or you're in great difficulty. And sometimes you'll be in the middle. And so to see that we move upon this spectrum. And also that there are limits to our compassion, to what we can do sometimes. That we have to accept that. And also to see that compassion is an action. We respond to something. But sometimes it's a non-action in the fact that we just need to be there for the person. That is not necessarily that we will change the person, but more that we will be there for that person. So I think there are many different expressions of compassion. And I think I want to finish there. <laughs>